It's no accident, it's not any surprise, it doesn't shock any of you guys to know that, that I love this, starting right about now is when I just I, I come alive and I just love this season of the year. Uh, that probably has something to do with my mother. Um, Thanksgiving to her was just probably one of her favorite holidays, her gathering with those that she loved, those that she um, loved to fellowship with and, and, and do the things that she did as um, a mother. She, she just loved being a part of, of that. But today what I want to do instead of, I don't wanna, I'm not going to focus on the historical aspects of Thanksgiving, but I, I want us to look in the Bible today um, and cover the biblical idea of walking in thanksgiving and peace today. And so what I want to do for the entire month of, of, of November is I want to talk about us as believers, what it looks like to be thankful and why having a spirit of thanksgiving is so, so vitally important as we as Christians are to press this idea out in the, in the world in which we live. Because here's the thing, the world around us, they're looking for peace. We're, we're looking for peace aggressively longing for hope like that's that's what we're built on man we're, our, our heart's desire is man we, we want we're looking and longing for peace and I know that what sells in what sells newspapers what gets clicks what gets views what gets downloads is chaos and pandemonium I know that that is what sells but honestly the true assessment is that we're longing for and hoping for rest and peace. Like, nobody on Thanksgiving afternoon after you've eaten your dinner and you've hung out and you've watched maybe a football game, nobody's looking to start something. Everybody wants to get in the recliner and what? We want to rest, right? We want to, we want to have peace, maybe just, just relax. Like, what's, that's what we're longing for is we're longing for hope. But I'm going to tell you, the honest assessment is that there will be no peace until Christ rules your heart. You will have no rest until Christ rules your life, reigns in your life. Peace, and here's the thing, peace will only arrive, peace can only arrive when salvation is gifted to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has called us as his children to walk in peace and thanksgiving. And, and listen, those two ideas are not foreign. They are a very they go hand in hand. They walk side by side. Peace and thanksgiving. And thanksgiving, this idea of living out gratitude in our daily lives, is why it's vital as we as, we as believers must make this a priority. We as Christ followers must make this thing a priority. They go hand in hand. It's more than just a holiday. Thanksgiving is more than just a holiday. In fact, that's the reason... Like, the reason the pilgrims did this, it was a biblical idea. It wasn't like, hey, you know what? We need to have a, a Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade. We need to get some turkeys. We need to get some stuffing. That was not the idea that the pilgrims had. The idea was that Christ has given so much. God has done so much on our behalf. Man, what we want to do is we want to set aside a day just to thank him for his faithfulness to us. And so what I want to do is have you guys go to Colossians chapter 3. And I want us to look at the idea of thanksgiving and peace in the life of a believer. So Colossians 
chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to go 15 through 17 today. And we're going to do a couple of different... Keep your fingers warmed up because we're going to be in a couple different texts this morning. But I want you guys to, to be ready to see this because I, I want us to unpack the, the truth of God's word about this um, for followers of Jesus. The idea of thanksgiving and peace and how it's played out in a believer's life. So... <clears throat> Let's go. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we're going to stop there in verse 15, but we're going to keep going. But verse 15 starts, he says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. When a person's heart and mind have been ransomed by the power of the Holy Spirit, peace will permeate their lives. When the tumultuous seas of life rage around people that have been marked by God, they will have an, a, an overwhelming sense of peace because the God of peace owns them. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, And the God of peace, I'm sorry, and, I'm sorry, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We are to be, be, listen, Christians are to look different. I've said this before, but Christians are to look different. We're to be beacons of hope because the God of all hope has ransomed our lives. The peace of God surpasses all human intellect and understanding. When the world is spinning out of control, and man, listen, I know it is. I know that every week it seems to be weirder and weirder, and it just keeps getting more the, the compound interest just keeps growing. And the, when the world's spinning out of a control, Christians should be marked as being in control. Amen? Amen? All right, I've got a couple of you in this. Come on now. If I, if, if I need to get a little more animated, keep you guys awake. Have you guys already started eating turkey? I don't know. <laughs> let, let me expand on this a little bit in Philippians chapter 4. It says, rejoice. In the, now, I, man, Marjorie, when, I, when, when the kids, when we were little, what's that? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. rejoice. Right? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And let the peace of God surpass all comprehension or all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When the world is spinning out of control, Christians should be in control. Why? Because the God of peace reigns. He rules over us. You say, well, Caleb, how does that work? Well, let's just think about some of the times. If you are a follower of Christ, how many of you... Has it seemed that the world was spinning out of control? It was crashing in, and God did a work in those moments in your heart and in your life. And everyone around you looked at you like, man, listen, you, you look like you're from a different planet because you should be losing your mind over some of this stuff. And you're not, why are you not losing your mind over some of this stuff? Because the God of peace rules over me. And so, because of what Christ has done, I'm thankful for where I'm at. You see, when you belong to Christ, you're marked by the God of the universe to be able to handle... Like, listen, you and I are built differently. I, I, I mean, I just keep saying, man, you, Christians were built for 2021. When it's crazy, when it's chaotic, man, that's when we shine brightest. 
That's when the, the light burns best. That's when the salt is the best. When things are going dark, when things are rampantly out of control, you and I as Christians are able to handle trials differently than the rest of the world. Or at least we should, amen? At least we should. We as Christ followers are called by God to invade dark spaces in the world. Why? Because that's exactly what Christ did and does. He invades dark spaces and with the light of the gospel and drives out wickedness and restores righteousness. Amen? Whew. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You see... The idea here is that when Christ rules your heart and your life, his peace will surpass all, every ounce of human understanding. Every ounce of it. And not only that, but there will be a guard around your heart and in your mind. Why? Because the God who rules your heart, he is loving enough and he's fatherly enough to be able to walk with us in those moments of despair and tribulation. He walks with us through all of these things. Let's go back to Colossians 3. And let the peace of Christ rule your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. Listen, the body of Christ is called to be a body of peace. And as a result of us being a body of peace, thanksgiving will flow from your life because of that peace. When you have peace, when you have peace with God, when you have the peace of God from the God of the universe, you can't help but have an attitude that radiates gratitude towards any and all circumstances that are in your life. Because you know that your eternal life is secure in Jesus. And listen, everything around us that's happening in these moments are temporary. The worst thing, like if you're a Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to get for you. Now, so on the other hand, if you're not a Christian, this is the best it's ever going to get for you. <laughs> this is, amen? Like, this is the best it's going to be for you if you're outside of Christ. Now, if you're in Christ, you're secure in Christ, guess what? This is the worst it's ever going to get for you. Period. No matter what. The temporary stuff does not matter. Like, you're not going to be the person that's going to try to feel like, like that you need to get back or get even. Like this is, Christians are going to be looking different. Like you should not be trying to get even with somebody that wronged you. As a Christian. As a Christian, you're to forgive those who do wicked against you. Why? Because Christ forgave you when you did evil against him. So you're not going to be the person that feels like you need to get even or have like a snappy comeback. Because, well, you know, you don't know what she said to me. You know what he did to me. I go, pop, pop, pop. You're going to chase after that? No, 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 no. Because Christ has forgiven you, you're going to walk in forgiveness. Thus, the spirit of thanksgiving is going to come out of your heart. John MacArthur once said that a Christian dwelling in contentment never retaliates. A Christian dwelling in, contempt, or in, in contentment never will retaliate. He says he'll learn to accept less than he thinks he deserves and never retaliate no matter how bad things get. Why? Why would he say that? Because the peace of Christ rules your heart. God called you, has called you to a life of being in this state. This state of thanksgiving. This state of peace. Because Christ rules. Thanksgiving, thankfulness, 
for what you what has been done to you and for you by the sovereign king of the universe and you say how does that activate in a believer caleb how does this idea activate inside of a believer's life well look at verse 16 of colossians 3 let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with all thanks, thankfulness in your heart to God. So let's start there in the text here. Let the word of Christ, how does this activate in a, in a Christian's life? Glad you ask. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell means to live. Like that, nobody's like, whoa, Caleb, that's, whoa, that's theological. No, dwell just means to live in. Or to make your home or your abode in or at. The idea presented in the text here is to make your home in God's word. Make your home in God's word in order to be, have inward transformation by the outward applying of the word and the washing of the word over your mind and over your heart. And when Christ's word is dwelling in you and it becomes your dwelling place, you are at home in the word. And as a result of being at home, you are a rich man or a rich woman when Christ's word becomes your home. When it becomes your dwelling place. When Christ, when you make Christ's word your home, he makes his home in your heart. And you as a human being are complete and will lack absolutely nothing. When Christ is enthroned as king of your heart and his word is rooted deeply into your mind and into your heart, you are going to be a new creation. You're going to look differently before the world around you. Now, the idea of dwell richly, this idea of rich, that word is better translated abundantly or extravagantly. The scripture should permeate every aspect of a believer's life. Like, Here's what I want to do for an illustration. Think about your own home that you live in currently, the house you reside in. So much of our lives revolve around our houses. It's often where we eat, where we sleep, where we find solace, where we find comfort. It's where we accomplish things. It's where we do things. We gather around. Like this is the reason, like in Thanksgiving, that this holiday, everybody coming home to grandma's house, we gather around the table together, we fellowship together, it's a place where we do things, we accomplish things, we find rest, we find peace. It, there's so much of our lives that revolve around our dwelling places. Like we, like it's one of the main things that we put all our chips in to make sure that that is a safe place. We don't want to work, like we're, we don't want to lose our house. One of, the, one of the many concerns that people in, the, in this life, in 2021, man, they're, they don't want to be, anybody in the room want to be homeless? There's nobody going, you know what, sign me up for that one. I want to live under a bridge. Nobody's, nobody wants that. Nobody's signing me up for that. Like we, we go all in to make sure our houses are places where we can go and just like, what's that all? Let it all hang out, you know? What's that? We just, like it's a place where we get to go and just, I, get, I can be me. I can be you. You get to be you. You can just relax. You can, it's a place of solace. Like we, we pay our bills. We make sure the heat and the air is on. Like we don't want the bank to take the house back. So listen, I'm making my, making my mortgage payments so people don't take it away. I don't want the bank to take it. We invest heavily in our dwelling places. We invest heavily in the places where we live because that's where we, like that's 
where we crash. That's where we end our day. That's where we begin our day. We invest heavily in our dwelling places. This is the same idea that's played out in the, in the scriptures here, that when the scriptures are your home, the idea that's conveyed here is that you should be investing everything into the scriptures as your dwelling place. Psalms 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When God's word is your dwelling place, sin can't be in your house. When God's word is our dwelling place, sin cannot have a place to live in our house. Now, when sin does show up, we quickly boot that out. When God's word is our dwelling place. It's not, those two things can't live side by side. We can't have a life of sin and a life of dwelling in God's word. They are opposed to each other. And as a result of God's word being our dwelling place, man, we're going to, we're going to, see if we can get that out. We're going to blow it out, vacuum it out, suck it, do whatever we need to do. We're going to get rid of it. Because my home is to be a home that is based on the word of God. And you're able to do the following things when you live in this state of being. When, you're, when your home is the dwelling place of God's word, you can teach and admonish. The scripture says there in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. When God's word is your dwelling place, when it dwells in us, it's how our worldview is formed. And as a result of when we, like when we give advice, when somebody asks our opinion, when God's word is our home, it's our dwelling place, we're able to teach and admonish with all wisdom. We're able to give advice from a biblical worldview rather than my personal worldview. What do you think about this topic, Caleb? Well, what's God's word say? Because listen, everything that culture is dealing with today, God's word addresses. Even down to whether or not you should do drugs. Look up the original language and yeah. True. Okay, well, what, is, what, is, what do you think about this topic? What do you think about this? Well, I can, I can teach and I can admonish everyone with biblical wisdom because God's word is my dwelling place. Amen? Like that's how, that's how it should work. Our worldview is formed as a result of God's word. How many of you have like heard things, well, that's my truth. Maybe that's your truth, Caleb, but my truth is, well, let me just tell you, if my truth rubs against the truth of God's word, then it's my truth that must capitulate and back down, not the other way around. If God's word says this is what this is on a certain topic, if God's word says this is what marriage is, but yet you're over here saying, no, my idea, my view of marriage is this, and you are opposed against God's word as to what the topic is, your truth must capitulate and back down from the truth of God's word every single time. And if our lives are not covered, like every single human being is going to have to give an account based upon the authority of God's word. Like, here's the thing. God's word is the final authority for everything. So, Caleb, God's word is supposed to be only the final authority for Christians. No, 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 no. 
At the end of the day, God's word will be the final authority for every single thing. Every single human being is going to have to give an account based upon the, the authority of God's word. And if our lives are not covered by the grace and the mercy and the blood of Christ, but rather covered by our own truth and our own, our own worldview and our own perspectives, we're going to be in trouble. It's God's grace alone that reconciles mankind back to himself. And it's based upon his word. His word is to be the preeminent thing that is to be held up by believers. When God's word is our dwelling place, we're going to make it a habit of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Man, we just did that this morning. We make it, it those that, when Christ's word is our dwelling, our home, we make it a normal thing to sing songs of praise to God. It's God who gives us the gift of music. It's something that, that he is owed. Like it's, his, it's our service to sing to him. You say, Caleb, where do you get that from? Because I can't sing. Well, Psalms 100 verses 1 through 2 says, make a joyful noise. saying some of y'all making noise that's all right though because guess what make a joyful noise to the lord not to caleb you ain't listen when you sing here this morning you ain't singing to me you're not singing for ben so ben got man ben can hear me sing oh yeah yeah like that's not the reason ben sings ben doesn't get up and just sing so he'd be like man ben you got such a beautiful voice i just love you know what he's singing and i want to worship I read in his bio on Uncle Wesleyan's website that I just want to worship the king. I want to sing to the Lord and I want to just bring his people into, the, into his presence. Like, make a joyful noise to the Lord of all the earth. Now listen, what's the text say? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So it's a command from the Lord that you sing. He loves to hear his kids sing. If you're his kid and you're, he loves to hear his kids sing. Like, think about it. how many of you as parents, when your kids get up and sing, how many of y'all get excited that your kids are singing? Oh, not me, Caleb. Man, I was here last Sunday night. I watched that whole trailer full of elementary school kids singing those songs. Every single parent that was there had their phones out. Beyonce, look at her sing. She's amazing. She's beautiful. Look at her. She can sing. Look at that. Like we. Uh, she get it. You get excited, man. You're stoked. Like those kids that got up here. Deep and wide, deep and wide. Nobody's in here going, golly, they were horrible. Nobody's singing that. Nobody's saying Every, every parent here is like, man, they can sing, baby. Look at those kids. They can sing. And you get excited, get your cameras out, you post on social media. Look at my baby. You get excited about your kids doing these things. The same idea is played out in, this, in, the, in the text here. He loves to hear his kids sing about him. So I've heard people, Caleb, how can I serve the Lord? Psalms 100 verse 1, 2, 1 and 2 says, Sing. That's easy. You want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Sing. We say, Caleb, I can't sing very well. That's all right. Because guess what? It goes through 
the atmosphere and it filters up into God's ears and it's a beautiful sound. He loves to hear his kids sing. So just open your mouth and let the noise come out. Amen? When God's word is our dwelling place, we will do all these things that we do with a thankful heart towards God. With all thankfulness in our hearts to God. Like, what, okay, so here's what I want to do this morning. I want us just to stop and think for just a moment about what Christ has done on our behalf. And what he's done, and we can't help but be thankful. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack what Christ has done on our behalf. I did some research this week, and I read some stuff that blew my little brain out. When Jesus was arrested in the dead of night, his disciples fled. He was put on trial by Jewish leadership by what honestly was a full-fledged mockery of justice. Also, this was held at night, this trial. During that trial, he was lied about, mocked, spit on, punched, slugged, kicked, beat, and blindfolded while this was done. The next morning, he moved from one court system, the Jewish court system, and the next morning he was tried before the Roman court system, and he was mocked as an imposter, and the guards fashioned a crown, and they shoved this crown of thorns down on his head, and it crushed in through his brow, and it pierced his skull. He was once again spit upon, struck with rods in the head over and over and over again. By this time, theologians say that his face and his head were swollen to double its size. His eyes were blackened, his nose was bleeding. And then, if that wasn't enough, the Romans say, okay, take him out and have him flogged. Have him, have him scourged. Have him flogged. And Paul Levins, in his article about the abuse of Jesus, writes that the scourging or flogging was the most dreaded punishment. Bits of lead and stone made the whip brutal, slashing, a, bl a brutal slashing instrument of terror, ripping a man's back and legs and shredding them wide open. And occasionally, if it hit just right, it would tear out eyes or slice eyes open. Jesus was led like a sheep. To the slaughter. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form was marred beyond any and all human likeness. Then if that wasn't enough then he was hung on a cross. He, was, he had to carry his cross for a little bit and then Simon the centurion had to, he carried it for him. The New Testament study Bible says that only slaves of the basest criminal mind and offenders who were not Roman citizens were executed in this manner. That the Lord God of the universe endured the most debased human execution could, that could ever be derived by the wickedness of man. He was fully humiliated. The nails were placed in his wrist. I know that we see pictures where it was, he's, they, they put the nails through his hands. That was not, it would have ripped out. They put them through the tendons in his wrist on both sides. And his feet were crossed. And those nails went down through, piercing through his feet 
holding him in place. This was a death that was a death of suffocation. It was a death of suffocation. It was slow, it was painful, and every nerve felt the searing, scorching pain of the cross. There's a reason we sang about these things this morning. And in art, we often see Jesus, he's sort of kind of hung, there's minimal blood, you don't see very much blood, his eyes are sort of kind of look sad, and he's got this loincloth that goes across him. He's got this loincloth that goes across him. That is historically untrue. Jesus was stripped completely naked in all humiliation. Like one of the worst, what's one of the worst dreams you could ever have? When you're dreaming, what's the worst thing? That you're in a public place, what? Naked. We're terrified to be caught without our clothes on. Jesus was hung on a cross for the entire world to see with no clothes on, bloody and bruised and ripped up, just gouged out. All, everything was messed up. He hung on the cross, bloody, naked, and humiliated before all of mankind. And this, the, the crucifixion side of this, it didn't include the beatings and all that other stuff, but the crucifixion, now listen to this, six hours he endured this. Well, what's the number of six? It's the number of man. It's the number of man. Jesus took the full punishment of man he took what men deserved. All this and much more. This morning we sang, Isaac Watts wrote this hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Like, all of this was done on the behalf of redeeming, sinful, treacherous mankind. And all the physical torture, and all the pain, and all the whippings, and all the beatings, and all the mocking, and the spitting, and the, hey, you're, if you're the king of the Jews, come on down! Mocked him. All of this physical torture was nothing compared to the fact that Jesus was separated from his heavenly father. When Jesus took every ounce of, his, of, the, of sin on his lovely head for those who would believe, he became, listen, he became me. Jesus became you. He stood in the gap for us. And when sin was laid upon him, God the Father turned his back on Jesus. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I need you to understand that if God Almighty would do this to Jesus, don't think for one second he's going to wink and grimace at your sin. Oh, you know, just go on. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's a big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. My sin is a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. This is why we must repent and lay our sinfulness at the feet of a gracious Savior. He is the only one who could take the full unmitigated wrath of God in such a way. You can't. You can't. But unfortunately, some of you are going to have to. 
because they refuse to repent and believe. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. When I think about what Christ did on the cross for me, when I think about, like, listen, when, when we think about what Christ has done for us, what he endured in order to redeem us, how can we have anything other than a heart of thankfulness and gratefulness to God for the sacrifice that he did on our behalf? Amen? People wonder, like, Caleb, why are you so passionate about this stuff why is it that you're going you go all in why do you why are you so hard line on so many of these things because christ's atoning work on the cross means everything i think of second corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 he says and he christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised when we see what Christ did for us, we can't help but want to surrender our lives to His cause. To live for Him. Not for ourselves, but to live for Him. To be inconvenienced for the cause of the gospel should be, at bare minimum, our heart's desire. If we've been saved and ransomed by Jesus Christ, we should, at bare minimum, say, listen, I want to be inconvenienced for the cause of the gospel. But man, how many of us, when it comes to things of the gospel, man, we're just like, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. I mean, I got to make a commitment and be a part of something and do something. Man, my time's my own. I mean, my, my time's my own. But man, listen, when Christ's word is your dwelling place, you're going to be willing to want to be inconvenienced for the cause of the gospel. You're not going to make an excuse as to why you don't want to be committed a part or be a part of something. You're going to say, listen, because of what Christ did for me, man, I'm all in. That's what we're called to when Christ's word is our dwelling place. Lastly, let's look at verse 17. When God's word dwells in us richly, verse 17, let's look at that. And whatever you do... In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen, there is no such thing as a secular or sacred divide. There is no such thing as secular or sacred all that we do as Christians is to be sacred. All that we do is to be done in thankfulness for the glory of God. When the word of Christ is our home, this is going to be our natural state. To want to be in a state of thanksgiving and say, God, because you've done this, man, I want a thank with a thankful heart. I am grateful to be able to do these things. Shouldn't be begrudging. Because listen, Jesus isn't after your begrudging submission. He's after your joy. Jesus is not after your begrudging submission. He's actually after your joy. And when you walk in his joy, a state of thankfulness is where you're going to live. Amen? Amen? Well, that's my hope for us. That's my hope for us. 
is that we live in this state. And that this month would be a reminder for us of what God has done on our behalf. What Christ has done to reconcile us back. That we would not take it for granted. That we would not minimalize it in our heads and say, oh, it's just a holiday we celebrate for a little bit. No, this is, a, this is something that Christians should walk in all the time. Thanksgiving, thankfulness should be what we have as a regular occurrence. Amen? Like that's how, that's how we should walk. That's how we should live. That's how we should have our being. It's been, God, I'm thankful for that. Man, I, as I got in the shower this morning, I was, getting, I was like, God, I'm just thankful I get to get up. I'm thankful I get to be up and alive today. That you didn't, that you didn't kill me for my sinfulness in the night. That you were merciful and gracious to me. Glory to your name. Amen? We'll stand together.